verses 15 through 22. Text is uh, in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 through 22. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has been yes, has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So one of the things that you probably don't think a lot about uh but uh, the, the thing that is the glue that holds society together, that, that holds us together, the thing that kind of put, makes uh, life uh, able for us to live in the world in which we live is the fact that we count on people uh, doing what they say they're going to do. I mean, it's that simple. Are people going to keep their promise? Right. And, and, and that's that's how everything in, in, in our life really ultimately boils down to is, you know, are people going to keep their promises? And and how does that work itself out? We we uh, uh, we count on that in our marriages and in our families. We count on that in the way in which we we live together. We uh, we count on that in the way in which uh, our commerce even is uh, is built. If you used a credit card yesterday, you made a promise. Do you know that? Capital One people will be glad to hear this. We have a few of those in the church. That when you swiped that card, you made a promise you'd pay that back. Right? Every time you borrow money, you're making a promise that you'll pay it back. Right? Um, so wherever we go, whatever we do, we... we, we um, what kind of holds us all together is the fact that that we uh, say we're going to do something and then we do it. One of the big things, one of the the most important things that lawyers learn in, in their first year of law school is the whole law and thought and philosophy behind contracts. That, that somebody says to somebody else, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it in a certain amount of time and I'm going to do it this way and this is the way it's going to happen. Now, now, the, the, the fact of the matter is, the truth is, while that is absolutely true, and without that kind of underpinning in our culture, we couldn't live together. We, we, we couldn't be together. The fact is, uh, the truth of the matter is, 
People break their promises all the stinking time. And when I said that, every one of you started clicking off in your head. Yeah, that's right. I remember when they promised me something and they didn't do it. Every kid in here is thinking, yeah, my parents promised me stuff all the time and they never do it. Kids, when you come to me to complain about your parents, don't use the word always and never. Because that's a fundamental thing in, in counseling because nothing is, 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 nothing is always and nothing is never. It's always mixed, right? Um, so, so the fact of the matter is you are very quick to remember all those times where somebody made a promise to you and they didn't keep it. And you could feel the offense coming up, rising up in you. Yeah, I remember that. Well, 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 um, and some of you thought, you know, I remember times when I didn't keep my promise where I said I would do something and I didn't do it, right? So, so the, 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 the truth of the matter is, this is the world we live in. And I would submit to you that one of the things that make your relationships, whether in a family, in a community, in, in, a, in a home, in a friendship, in, in a church, wherever you are, whatever it is, what makes that relationship enjoyable, what makes it fun, what makes it something that is life-giving to you is the degree to which you trust one another, the degree to which that over time you've come to believe that, you know what, I can generally count on this person doing what they say they're going to do, right? I mean, that is... That is based on their character, based on the fact that I know them, based on those sorts of things. There is a level of trust there. And and what makes relationships difficult and what makes relationships hard is those relationships that we have with people, and we have to have them because we're tied to them in, in, in a whole host of ways, that they are consistent in breaking their promises to us. But we're still in a relationship with them. I have some people like that in my life. And one of the things that I realized I got convicted about in the last year is, is that when those people and I are interacting with one another and we're, we're doing something fun together or doing something like that or just in, in enjoying life together and they begin to tell me the things they're going to do, I begin to think about other things. And the reason why I begin to think about other things is because I think they're not trustworthy. They're not going to do this. Why would I listen to it? Right? Right? Maybe you don't do that. I start thinking about what am I going to eat? Where am I going to go? Uh, wonder who's going to win the NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, wonder what we're going to do for vacation this summer. Hmm. Uh, uh, I need a new pair of running shoes. You know, whatever. You know, it's just this, this whole kind of thing. I just kind of cut it off because I'm like, there's no point in listening to that. Right? And that makes, that makes things very difficult. Well, just imagine if you're an apostle. Just imagine if if you are at the front edge of starting a worldwide movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ by planting churches all over the world, and there are people in the church who think you're not trustworthy. That there are people in the church who have begun to talk about you and people who have begun to gossip about you. That's what's happening here. That's why I believe this is really happening, because it sounds like the church. <laughs> people get disappointed. 
They don't like the way something's working out. So what do we do? We talk. Come on. That's one of the great things about being in churches. There's always somebody around to listen. Right? <laughs> All right? So, so what has happened here is Paul has, had made a promise. Go ahead and put my notes up, AJ. Uh, and, and it communicated to the church in Corinth that he wanted to come see them. That he wanted to come and be with them. And, and that he would visit with them. In fact, that he would visit with them twice. That he would, on his way to Macedonia, he would stop and spend some time with them. And when he was returning to Judea, he would stop again. He would come twice. And he was, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to do that. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't keep his promise. So people are like that, Paul. You know what? He's a jerk. He didn't keep his promise. What a terrible pastor. You can't count on him. He's fickle. He vacillates. He's double-minded, right? He says one thing, but he really means another. That's why he begins this text by saying, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you, right? So what he's saying to them is, listen, listen, my, my, his, he knows that his integrity is at stake because for whatever reason, he made a promise that he would come to see them and he hasn't come to see them. So what's happening? They're saying things like, you know what? He says he loves us. He doesn't love us. <clears throat> it was inconvenient. He didn't come. Right. And especially if you're if you're in a situation where you're like, you know, I, didn't, I never really liked him that much anyway. His sermons were kind of drab and boring. That was his reputation. I'm not making that up. He preached too long. He wasn't that impressive in person. He was a pretty good writer, but as a speaker, not that great. And here he is. He says he loves us. He was going to come, but he didn't come. So what would you do if this was happening to you? You'd defend yourself. You'd say, hold on. Listen, I'm the pastor. I love you. I planted this church. You belong to me. I belong to you. Let me tell you why I wasn't able to keep my promise. That's what we would do. He doesn't do that. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. Right? What does he do? Well, this whole accusation against him, this this whole thing, and by the way, it's a true accusation. He said he was going to come and he didn't come. Right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a big deal. You count on apostles to tell you the truth. Right? After all, he wrote most of the Bible, the second, the New Testament. He wrote a lot of this. Is he trustworthy? Does he, does he follow through on, on what he said? So what does he do? Well, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, listen, I was sick or I was in jail. He doesn't say I got held up or this happened or that happened. All of this points him to the place where he says, listen, listen, I am not double minded and I am not fickle. And I didn't vacillate. And the reason why that's true is because our God does not vacillate. Our God does not change. Our God says yes, and he means yes. And that's that, right? So so what he, what he says here, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we have proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
So he takes this opportunity of being accused of his his integrity, his trustworthiness being challenged to say, I am trustworthy and I am trustworthy because God's trustworthy. And he begins to preach the gospel to them. Next slide. So so Paul is saying, my heart's not divided towards you because God's heart is not divided towards you. If you belong to Christ by faith, then everything could boss, God could possibly give you for your good. He has signed over to your account in Christ. You hear the same answer at every point. Is this promise in my account? Yes. Is this promise in my account? Yes. Is this blessing in my account? Yes, 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 yes. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Look at the letter at the beginning of the bulletin. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is, yes. Do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. So do you see what's happening here? What Paul's doing is he is heaping up for us the reality of the work of God, that the very character of God is that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And that all of these blessings, all of these things that Jesus Christ lived, died and rose again to give us are true and yes in him. And because they are true and yes in him and because we are in him, they are true and yes for us. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this about about this text. All the promises, all, not just some, not selective ones, not some today and some different ones tomorrow, but all. And he says, why, here is a grand granary full. Who can sort them all out? Now, I know this is a suburban audience and you don't know what a granary is. Granary. Is that where you buy your bread, right? Granary, uh, well, you shouldn't eat grains. They're bad for you, right? And that when, We're doing that right now in our house, so um, makes communion tough. Um, what's a granary? It's a place where you store grain. You ever seen a silo when you drive down the road out into the country? When I was a kid, I was a teenager, one of the things that we would do for fun, this is back before the Internet, uh, kids, uh, go to the bathroom right now. You don't want to hear this. And if you do hear this, don't ever do it. And parents, be glad that there are no silos in your neighborhood. We would go gather together, and at night when it was dark, we would go to various farms, and we would climb to the top of the silo, and we'd jump in. Now, you do that in the fall because typically the silo's full. And so you don't jump very far. It catches you. Whatever the silage or uh, uh, the grain that's in there catches you, and you have a soft landing. We used to do that all the time. Now, now you do it in the dark, which makes it kind of interesting because you can't tell exactly what's in there. Well, one day, one night, actually, after a Young Life meeting... Some friends of mine and I decided, you know what, we let's go over here and let's do this. So we climbed to the top of the uh, uh, silo and my friend, a uh, good friend of mine, jumped first. And he jumped 
And he began screaming because the silo wasn't full. It was only partly full. He broke his leg. Now, you know, kids, one of the things, if your parents love you, one of the verses of Scripture that they will say to you is is that your sins will find you out. And when your friend has a broken leg and he's 25 feet down into a silo uh, and you got to get him out, explain that one. Oh, we were helping Farmer Brown with his grain after the Young Life meeting and David slipped and he fell, right? And then just imagine what it's like to get the guy out of the silo with the rescue squad. So here's a granary full. You can jump in it and it'll catch you. Okay? Who can sort them all out? Promises of pardon to the seeking sinner. Promises of justification to the believing child. Promises of sanctification to him who is struggling against sin. Promises of the supply of all kinds of spiritual food to the flock of Christ. Promises of guidance. Promises of preservation. Promises of holy education. Promises of peace and joy. Promises of hope. Promises of the sustenance of our love. Promises for death. Promises for judgment. Promises for glory. Promises that reach to all eternity. All the promises. What a range of vision. This expression opens up. Go forth and lift up your eyes and gaze upon the stars. See whether you can number them all. Do they not far exceed all your powers of mathematics? Yet if you could count the stars, weigh them in scales and tabulate the measure of their light, you could not count the promises of God or estimate their true value or know how infinitely precious is the divine light which streams from them into a believing soul. Listen, I want you to hear this. I know it's, it's hot in here. I'm sweating, which, the, you know, as I've said before, a hot room's a tool of the devil. Your kids are in here. You may not be paying attention. But church, you need to hear this. Everything God has promised you in Jesus Christ is yes. 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 And that is the final word. Now. Now, if that's true, why is your life so hard? If that's true, why do I struggle with sin? If that's true, Why do I struggle with anger and bitterness and gossip and lust and addiction? If that's true, why do I struggle with uh, uh, self-righteousness, know-it-allism? Why do I struggle with thinking that I'm better than you? Why do I struggle with it when you sin against me? Why do I struggle with disappointment? Why do I struggle with fear and anxiety? Why do I struggle with pain in my body? Why do I struggle with the possibility of death? Why do I struggle with with difficulties and loveless relationships? Why do I struggle with those things? If the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, then how come I'm not doing better? Right? Well, next slide, please, AJ. Um, one of the things that you have to see about this is, and one of the things that you have to understand is, is that by the gift of the Holy Spirit, what God has done for us in these things is he's marked us out. He's set us aside. He's, he's given us his spirit. He's anointed us with, with his spirit. He has marked us as his people. He has sealed us 
We belong to him. But those things don't mean that life comes at us as just one big party or one giant situation where you can have your best life now. Um, what Paul says here is, is that these promises to us are yes and amen. And in all of those things, the evidence that we have is the gift of the Spirit, that we've been anointed, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that we are sealed, set aside, that we are marked as the recipients of all of these blessings, of all of these promises, of all of this yes. Uh, there was a, a show on this past year, a TV show, the most expensive television show ever made, series ever made, called The Crown. Um, one of those British things. Um, it was good. Honestly, it was better, better than I thought. And the best part to me of the whole uh, series was when the queen gets anointed. And that anointing is actually more important in some ways than the crowning because it's kind of secret and they cover it up. And the, the Archbishop of, of Canterbury anoints her hands and anoints her head and anoints her heart to set her apart, belonging to God, to do this job that he has chosen for her. Well, the same thing is true for me and for you, that God has done this for us in the Holy Spirit and that he has sealed us and set us apart and, and marked us off as the recipients of these promises. You know, we love, we love, one of the things that happens to us is we vacillate between hearing these promises of God, knowing uh, that God is for us in Jesus Christ and rubbing up against the difficulties of life and the challenges of life. You know, you, you can go to, well, that's a, they don't have many of these anymore. There used to be a thing in America called a Christian bookstore and there aren't many of those anymore, but you could go and get, get trinkets. And one of the things that you could get is a little box with the promises of God in it. All these scriptures about the promises of God. Well, here's the thing, right? One of the things that you have to see about these promises is they're almost always, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be good looking. You're going to be, you're going to be, your kids are going to be smart and successful and all these great things are going to happen to you, right? That's what we look for. You're, you're going to glow and everything's going to be wonderful, right? But I can't ever remember getting one of these promise box. And it said, you open it up, and the first promise is, in the world you will have tribulation. (laughs) That's a promise. You can take that one to the bank. In the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said it. He meant it. He wasn't kidding. And he said it at, at one of the most important times of his ministry as he's in the upper room with his disciples, just hours away from when the mob is going to take him and kill him. Listen, you have the promise of God that in the world you'll have tribulation, but you don't have the final. That's not the end of that promise. The end of that promise is in the world, you will have tribulation and I have overcome the world. Next slide. He goes on in this passage to say, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been. And and not just a human being, but her human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. 
but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Right. So here's the thing. This is this is what we have to see about this is that what Paul is getting at is that in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this challenge, what we bank on and what we count on is the very character of God, that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And he has promised to us that in this world we will have tribulation, but our hope, our joy Our reality, the trajectory of our lives, where we are headed, is to this place where he clearly, definitively, and we will see it, has overcome the world. We know that he's overcome the world, not just because he told us he would overcome the world, and not just because he overcame the world, but because he died and he rose again. And so I live in light of the fact, I live in light of the fact that this has happened. That Jesus Christ came, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he made atonement for my sin. And because of that, I can rest in and count on the fact that everything that God has said to me in Christ is true. And that the trajectory of my life, indeed the trajectory of history, even in the midst of this tribulation, is for my joy. Because he's overcome the world. We don't merely soldier on stoically enduring hoping things one day will be better. And listen, that's what a lot of us are banking on. And that's the pablum, weak, sorry food that we feed our souls and that we often feed others, that things will get better. That is cold comfort. If that's all you got. And frankly, my friends, if you're outside of Christ this morning, This is as good as it's going to be. So if all we have to hold out to people, that the promise of God to you is, well, hoping someday things will get better. Cold comfort, if it's any comfort at all. Jesus is risen from the dead. And that's the sure and certain pledge that God is going to make all things new, all things, new heavens and a new earth, new bodies, new hearts, free of anxiety and anger, lust and sorrow. The resurrection of Jesus is our joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let me be clear about this. Maybe you've lost children. Maybe you've not been able to have children. Maybe you want to be married and you haven't been able to be married. Maybe maybe you live in a relationship that's hard. Maybe you want to be loved and it feels like no one loves you. Maybe you have children who've rebelled and turned away. Maybe you live in a prison of fear and tyranny, like a loveless home, loveless marriage, a thankless job a life of bitterness and disappointment. Maybe today you're dying and you can feel it in your body. You feel the pain. You feel the struggle. And maybe worse yet, you have pain that is unremitting and you're not dying. Maybe you have a mind today that can't rest because it springs from one anxiety to another, one fear to another, 
Or, or maybe your, your mind springs from one fault to another, one thing that you've done wrong, and you, you, you become overwhelmed by your guilt, or you become overwhelmed with bitterness at the faults of the other people in your life. You may struggle with sin deeply, sins you commit, and sins committed against you. Maybe you're struggling today with uh, an addiction, right? Or maybe, worse yet, you have an addiction and you're not struggling. To every one of you, the Lord repeats this promise. You now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. You see, that is the direction and the end where my life goes. I bank on that. What else do I have to bank on? What else do I have to put my complete hope and entrust myself to except that? Where else can I go and who else can I look to who says to me these promises that he has overcome the world and that I can look to that and I can trust that and I have the evidence in that and that he has risen from the dead, that he has given me his spirit, that he has sealed me and set me apart and marked me as his. The Lord knows. He knows you. And he knows that you are tempted all the time to skepticism, to cynicism, and to bitterness, and to coldness, and to kind of sealing off at least parts of your heart against the fact that this Jesus loves you and that this God makes promises that he keeps. And so he gives us a tangible thing to see and smell, to hold and to eat as tangible reminders to say to us that the promises of God are yes and yes and yes and amen and amen and yes and yes in Jesus Christ. Because just as real and tangible are these elements, even more real is his love for you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's confess our sins together by using uh, the confession uh, that's up on the screens behind me and uh, in the bulletin this morning as well. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are faithful in all your ways. Not one word has failed of all your promises. You are exceedingly jealous for your church, but we have not longed for you. We have cherished secret sins. We have sought comfort in created things. We have doubted and disdained your sovereign choice. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.